welcome to Pickaxe and Roll. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night, Monday morning. I'm, I'm recording this one at 1.23 a.m. On, on Monday morning, and I'm going to try to get this one out as quickly as I can. Uh, wanted to go back and watch some of the clips. Uh, wanted to go back and make sure that I had certain things right about this game, but this was an interesting one, and it felt like a throwback to me. All the way back to the 2019-20 season when the Nuggets did this all the time. Uh, the Nuggets won this game 119-109 over the Orlando Magic. They were down 18 at the half, won the second half by 28, and it really did feel like this team uh, was just doing what it had done all of last year pretty much in digging themselves a hole, climbing back out of it, Surrounded by Nikola Jokic doing Nikola Jokic things. Uh, but only this time, the starting lineup, it was just unbelievable to watch in that second half. That group just knows how to play off of each other really well. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, two-man game. Jokic, Aaron Gordon chemistry is really coming along. Obviously, Michael Porter still doing Michael Porter things. And in that second half, Will Barton has 13 of his 15 points. Uh, does a lot of good things in that half. I thought that things really came together for that group in the second half, and the bench kind of righted the ship in the second half as well. So, good things to talk about. Some bad things to talk about, but we will mention it all and and, and try to cover as much of it as I can. Uh, but I think the story of this game really is the large setback to force the huge comeback. We'll talk about that in the first segment. We'll talk about various news and notes in the second segment. Just kind of how this was a really weird game, though it was... Kind of like what we what he had seen last year, uh, and some and some player notes after that, and then Monday positivity in the third segment. Despite the fact that it is one twenty three in the morning, I am having a grand old time. So stick with me if you can. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Really, so uh, that would be awesome if you possibly could. So let's get into this thing. Uh, why did the Nuggets go down the way that they did? I think that's probably the biggest question that everybody has, and I've got a lot of notes here. Uh, let's start with just the poor shooting offensively. This team is one of the best shooting offensive teams in the NBA. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA. What they do at the three-point line really helps open up the paint inside, and I tend to think that the Nuggets, they do their best when they've got the outside shot hitting, which opens up the paint. It opens up the, the middle of the floor for everybody else. Uh, Jokic only attempted one three tonight. He went 0 for 1. Uh, Aaron Gordon only attempted one three tonight, went 1 for 1. But I think that really underscores the level of bad shooting that the Nuggets had during this game. Uh, it it's kind of stands out to me that that Denver really struggled in this half at the, at the outset. Uh, they went 4 of 15 from the three-point line in the first half, and they went and finished up with 9 of 29 for the game. So they were they were slightly better in the second half, but really this was a game where they didn't have a lot of outside shooting to work with, and they kind of force-fed the, the cuts in the second half, but those those weren't really there in the first half for them to take advantage of. The Orlando Magic, they shrunk the floor really well. They preyed on Denver's instincts to not take those outside shots, or, or when they did, uh, sometimes they would pump fake and drive into the lane, 
that was a big problem in that first half for sure. Uh, there was there was a couple of sequences. Will Barton did this once, uh, kind of had an open three, passed it up, offloaded it to Jokic for a contested floater. Uh, Aaron Gordon did the same thing, had an open three, dri- dribble drive, tried to pass the ball to Jokic, got deflected for a turnover and points the other way. Uh, it wasn't a good offensive performance from Denver, and a lot of the possessions that Orlando had, they they capitalized on Denver's mistakes. Uh, Denver uh, gave up 23 points off of their turnovers, and that is never a good sign. That kept Orlando in this game throughout. Uh, But most of that came in the first half. I also thought that Jokic kind of let the refs get to him in this game once again, and just kind of being there in the building, it was pretty evident from the opening tip that Jokic wasn't going to get the calls that he thought he deserved, and the Magic got away with a lot. And I'm going to talk about this in the in the second segment, but despite the fact that Denver shot 31 free throws, it felt like they should have had 51, uh, just based off of the way that they were being officiated versus the way that Orlando was being officiated. It was very weird. Uh, there was a lot of weird things that happened, but Jokic let the refs get to him. Wendell Carter Jr., though, he also played really well. Let's, let's not like well, bury the lead here. Wendell Carter Jr. had a really, really good defensive game. Uh, he had 16 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, 1 block. Uh, had 4 personal fouls. Mo Bamba on the bench, on the bench center, had 6. So, Wendell Carter was out there for a long time. And I thought he did a really good job of being physical with Jokic and getting away with a lot of it. Uh, it didn't always happen that way. And I think the Nuggets fans aren't going to be happy that he got away with a lot, but... I've been impressed with Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, in the two games that he played against Jokic with Chicago and then also this one. He defends him really well because he's physical and the refs, for whatever reason, they don't call a lot of those fouls. So is what it is. And look, it's it's tough to belabor the ref point, but Denver won. So we can we can belabor it kind of and, and move on at, at this stage. Uh, Murray and Barton were both bad in that first half, they really turned it around in the second half. As I mentioned, Barton had 13 of his 15 points in the in the second half. That means he had two points in the first half. And I thought he was really bad overall, though he did have some assists, did have some rebounds in that first half. I thought that he was playing the game the wrong way in a lot of cases. And there were just a lot. Of, there's, uh, Yeah, there's just a lot to talk about there. Uh Murray was bad too, though, and it shouldn't go understated that, look, he, he if he plays up to his normal potential in that first half, then he kind of helps Denver close that gap a little bit. And they're not down by 18, they're down by 10 or down by 6 or something like that. So I thought both of those guys were bad for sure. The bench unit, first half, they went with Faku, Monte, Jamal at the 3, Jamichael Green, and Paul Millsap. That was the unit that played kind of the end of the first, beginning of the second quarter. Uh, from the, the time that Jokic went off the floor, uh, kind of in the, the 210 range in the first quarter, he came back on the floor in like the 940 range in the second quarter. And it like it was just like four and a half minutes as quick as you possibly could get him back on the floor because it was a disaster the moment Denver went to that full unit. And there's only so much that Jamal Murray can do to save that unit. 
Um, there's a lot of playmaking on that unit from Faku and Monte and Jamal. But the guys that they have to work with, with Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green, there's so much, there's so little dynamism. There's so little dynamic athletic ability and finishing ability that it really, really hurts Denver's offense. They they start devolving into a lot of isolations. I thought it was, it was pretty evident that there, there was a sequence at the beginning of the second quarter where uh, Monte tried to isolate. Uh, I think he kicked out for a three and the air, like I think he kicked it out to Faku. He nearly airballed. There was another near airball. And then uh, Paul Millsap actually did airball at one point. And it, it just kind of goes to show that you can have really good players. And I think that all of those pieces uh, with Faku, Monte, Jamal, Jamichael Green, Paul Millsap, all of those pieces can be good in the right context. But putting them all together like that because you have your starting unit and you need to play your next group, that group doesn't work. And it was pretty clear from the jump that it didn't work. We have four games of evidence now with Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap as the bench duo, that they probably don't work together at all. Uh, They just do all of the same things. And having guys that are duplicative isn't really good when when you're trying to create a cohesive unit. Like Faku and Monte, they are kind of duplicates of each other. Small guards that you want to see run the offense, uh, as well as the the stretch bigs that are that are not quite fast enough to stick on the perimeter, but not quite big enough to be threats on the inside. Those are the tweeners that Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap are right now. So you got to find a place for them, and I don't think that it's with each other. I think that you've got to either go big with JaVale McGee and one of those guys at the four, or you've got to go small. And you probably have to play Michael Porter Jr. next to Jamichael Green or Paul Millsap. That's my that's my take on the bench right now. Uh, I everybody knows my feelings on Faku at this point. I just don't think he's been helpful at all uh, with this group. And with Monte coming back, I, I tend to think that his minutes are going to be squeezed. But be that as it may, they're not going to be squeezed right now because Michael Malone loves the dude, and and I just I just don't see how he benches him despite the fact that I think he needs to. Uh, he'll probably bench P.J. Dozer over him, and I think that could be deserved. Like, P.J. has been really bad. So, it'll be interesting to see. I wonder if they stagger Porter instead of Murray with that group, and they just go Faku, Monte, MPJ, Jamichael Green, Paul Millsap, and you try to go with it that way. But I, I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what they end up doing. Uh, yeah, that's that's really how Denver got down. And then they came back, and things were really cooking. They really cooked well. Uh, outscored Orlando 72-44 to in that second half. Jokic locking in as a passer had 12 assists in the second half. That is unbelievable. And I've been spending too much time on the negative that it's important to talk about the positive here. That, look, Denver was great in terms of getting back into this game and doing it the right way. The vertical cutting from Michael Porter, from Aaron Gordon, even Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, all of those guys, they know how to do it. And Jokic has been looking for that so much. It really is a throwback to me to the 2016-17 offense with Denver, where they would run a five-out system 
with Jokic either at the top of the key or at the nail, and they would run these vertical cuts with Will Barton, Daniil Gallinari, and Wilson Chandler. And they'd run those guys like from the top of the key or from the wings down to the basket. And they did the same sort of stuff with Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter tonight a lot. And I like it. I think those guys are such big targets. And it's such a unique thing that most teams can't cover for. Most teams don't understand how to guard something like that. So I tend to think that that's a good sign uh, for for their offense, that it, it just keeps getting more and more diverse, which is really cool. There's just really good chemistry right now between Jokic and Aaron Gordon, Jokic and Murray, and Jokic and MPJ in so many different ways. And Jokic and Barton, it's still it's its own chemistry, and those guys still find a way to connect on a lot of sets. But I feel like a lot of those are initiated by Barton mostly. Uh, right now, Jokic is initiating in such a way with all three of Gordon. Murray and MPJ in so many different ways that it makes Denver so difficult to guard. They have they have all of their different spots. They have all of their different cuts and different sets and different places where they like to shoot. And it, it forces so much confusion from the defense that when Denver gets everybody switched and mixed up, that's when the cutting system works the best. And I hope that Jokic and Malone and and David Adelman, who runs the offense, and, and everybody who, who contributes there, continues to realize that once Denver gets the switch, their job isn't done. They still have to continue to run those cutting systems. There's a lot of isolation at times with Denver when they get Jokic to a switch, but so much so much of that, Jokic causes so much chaos with the double teams that he then creates because he will pass to the open guy pretty consistently and and once he hits once he hits those passes consistently then teams have to single team him and then he backs down and, and shoots a jump hook over some smaller dude that's a great sign for Denver's offense that even when the jump shots weren't really falling it was still kind of just a just a nuts shooting performance from Denver overall uh the defense turned up uh, as i mentioned 72 to 44 margin uh, Chumo Okiki was cooking in that first half. Terrence Ross was cooking in that first half. They they combined for 9 of 18. Uh, they combined for 5 of 17 in the second half. And, and there were a lot more turnovers involved. There were a lot more uh, missed possessions and whatnot. It was just a very tangible difference in Denver's defensive intensity. And it's cool that Denver has a switch that they can flip like that. You don't want to have to do that pretty consistently. You'd like to be able to reach that top level, but Denver has always been a switch team. They've always been a, a team that kind of dilly-dallies at times, but when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's who they are. So it's a good sign that they continue to do that and continue to do it well. There was a tangible change to that bench unit uh, in the second half. Faku, Monte, PJ, Jermichael Green, JaVale McGee. Those were the five players out there. From that bench unit, Paul Millsap got the axe. Uh, PJ and JaVale McGee were added to that unit, and and Jamal Murray was with the starters the entire time. Uh, He played basically the entire third quarter, and the fourth quarter came on, and Denver had Faku, Monte, and PJ, as well as Jamaica Green and JaVale McGee. And already you could really see a tangible difference in the way that the paint opened up 
because JaVale McGee was rolling to those spots, it was kind of interesting to watch because normally you wouldn't think of a big, especially a rolling big, as somebody who could uh, who could consistently, like, he would be in the way in the paint in a lot of cases. But because he's involved in the possession and because he's moving off ball well, because he, he gets involved in the pick and roll, it scrambles the defense a little bit. And there was a pretty tangible example of this uh, when Monte was driving pretty consistently. He had so many open driving lanes in that second half because of the rotating defense, because they couldn't just switch sets. They they felt like they had to stay attached to McGee. They felt like they had to stay attached to Jermichael Green. And because of that, you create a lot more pressure on ball. And I thought Monte Morris was able to take advantage of that for sure. Um, Faku had a really nice and one. Uh, and JaVale McGee had a really nice, uh, he had a really nice move that he created in isolation that uh, it generated some free throws. It was really funny. Uh, he had the ball at the top of the, the at the free throw line, basically, and everybody cleared out for him like he was Nikola Jokic. Everybody, everybody that he got the ball at the free throw line, and everybody's like, "All right, big man, do your thing." And and then he was, he squared up to his man. I think it was Mo Bamba, and he he spins. He he has a one dribble spin, or maybe it was a two dribble spin. And he was so wide open, but got himself under the basket that I think he surprised himself and got a very light foul call uh, from Mo Bamba from, from under the rim. He basically blocked himself from the rim because of his spin move that got him so wide open. So it was very funny, very interesting to watch JaVale grab the steal or at least generated a steal in this game. Uh, he grabbed an offensive rebound. He did some good things in, in the six minutes that he played. I wonder if he gets a little bit more time in this next game against Detroit. They play bigs. They play Isaiah Stewart as a as a center. And so uh, on, that, on that bench unit, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that we will probably see JaVale McGee again. Uh, but everybody came back and everybody did well. Bench unit gave some good minutes in the fourth quarter. Uh, Nikola Jokic was awesome, and you love to see that. You love to see how that continues to progress. Uh, even though he he struggled in the beginning, especially with the refs, he came back, did a nice job, got it, got everybody involved. Jamal Murray helped close out this game. He was under control, did a lot of great things with the ball in his hands, uh, hit an important three, uh, hit a blue arrow. That was cool. And uh, he also created a shot for Michael Porter, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that really iced the game. And uh, you knew that once it went to a wide-open Michael Porter Jr. in the corner, that it was going in at that point. Uh, Denver just sort of blitzed Orlando late in this game. They created turnovers. Orlando shot some air balls due to offensive or defensive pressure and, and probably some tired legs from the back-to-back that they had. Uh, they are running shorthanded because... Uh, because they only had eight guys available. So there's a lot of stuff that was working in Denver's favor for sure. Uh, but Denver still had to do it, and they did. And, and all the starters were plus 20. Uh, actually, uh, they were plus 20 in the second half. All of them finished in the double-digit positive because of that second-half run, which really counteracted the first-half collapse. So really cool to see the symmetry there. Denver had a large setback, but you 
can't have a large comeback without a large setback first. So good on them for being able to take care of it. Uh, and that's pretty much all for this game particularly. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other stuff, including Monday Positivity. But first, I love this time of year. It's everyone's favorite tournament of the year. We're talking golf, people. We're talking Augusta, Georgia, Compete for the coveted green jacket and DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. Land on the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you 100 to 1 odds on the golfer of your choosing to finish in the top 10. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the time. I love the Masters, and I love watching Bryson DeChambeau just swing golf clubs like their little toothpicks. He's a... he. He hits that ball very far. Uh, you could turn $1 into $100 in a simple pick-any-golfer scenario from this weekend's tournament. If they finish in the top 10, you cash $100. All they need to do is finish in the top 10, people. 101 odds on an offer like this just doesn't come around often, so sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all of the action and choose your golfer before the tournament tees off. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use promo code MHS when you sign up for to turn $1 into $100 if the golfer of your choosing finishes in the top 10 of this weekend's tournament. That's code MHS to turn $1 to $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. When we come back, we are talking Monday positivity. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of the support on the new pod is 100% appreciated. Thank you so much, everybody. Let's get into this game again. Let's get into Monday Positivity soon after. Uh, This was a weird game. Uh, It was the first game with real fans. Uh, You had the Aaron Gordon, Gary Harris, RJ Hampton trade. Uh, There was an interesting dynamic for that because Aaron Gordon, he's had the first 12 points of the Nuggets in this game and it wasn't that the nuggets were really force feeding him because he was uh, because he was a former magic player like he just found his spots and the team found him and Jokic found him especially so it was like they really weren't trying to force him despite it probably looking like that initially uh there was a tribute video for Gary Harris which was great to see uh, it was mostly about his work uh just as as a character guy in the community doing all of the things necessary like or doing all the things, just going above and beyond as a person, uh, which was really cool. And uh, they they showcased the shot that he hit against the Oklahoma City Thunder back in 2018. That was the pinnacle of the Gary Harris experience for sure. Uh, RJ Hampton was going at it with the Nuggets, and that was pretty funny to see. Uh, he is going to be a quality player. Just the blazing speed, the combo, the combo guard ability. He's a quality, quality player. 
he has better instincts as a passer than I thought he would. And I, I tend to think that that's probably just something that he's developed. Uh, well, he's probably already had it, of course, but Denver used him in such a way where he was kind of a, a cutter, a DHO option. Uh, he didn't have the ball in his hands all the time. And I don't think Denver really took advantage of that. They knew that what they had, though, and they probably didn't want to give... Actually, I know they didn't want to give him up in this Aaron Gordon trade, but this is going to be a trade that works out for both sides, I hope, because while he still has a ton of work to do, he's only 20 years old. RJ Hampton, he's got a bright future. Uh, just a lot to like about the way he comports himself, the way he plays. He was aggressive. He was doing everything he could to show that Denver made a mistake in giving up on him. And they probably feel that way too in a lot of respects, but they got Aaron Gordon, and Aaron Gordon is going to be key to their present, not just the future. So I hope that he cracks it in Orlando. I hope that whoever they bring in in the draft this year or over the next couple of years, they still find a way to showcase RJ in a good way. A couple of player notes before we hop into Monday positivity. Uh, this game was very interesting. I, I thought that Will Barton in that first half, he really, really struggled from a, a finishing around the rim perspective. Uh, before tonight, and, and these numbers don't take into account tonight's box score, but he shot over he's shot over 200 shots uh, from 0 to 10 feet this year. Uh, he's one of, I think, 95 players to do so or so. Uh, he has a 48% field goal percentage on shots from 0 to 10 feet away, which include layups and includes dunks. Uh, that is the sixth lowest in the NBA among players with as many attempts. And I don't want to belabor this point because you hate to like it's it's a it's a thing that I've been talking about for a long time. But if there's one weakness to Will Barton's game that frustrates me more than anything, it's the missed layups. It's not the like there there are some decision making things, uh, kind of driving into a crowd and turning the ball over that really upset people. There's some defensive stuff, but like that's that's going to happen with everybody. And it happens with Jokic, it happens with Murray, like everybody has some decision-making gaffes here or there. What you can control is how well you finish around the rim from a con a concentration perspective. And and I just wonder if that really is the first sign of, of the, the athleticism just kind of waning a little bit. Uh, because Barton was an athletic finisher around the rim for a long time. And I tend to think that as a guy in his position, with the lightly contested shots that he gets, for, given Denver's big three is out there all the time, their teams are going to leave less impactful defenders on him. And he has to finish over a lighter contest as opposed to Jokic, who he, get, he sees double teams consistently, especially at the rim. Uh, but yeah, he has struggled on those shots all year, and it's been an, an, an ongoing trend. I, I don't think he's ever had a real moment where it's been better than about 50%. And that's a bad thing, and, and it's only going to get tighter in the playoffs, and it's not necessarily something that I think Denver can really work on. I also think that the benefits of having him out there defensively are really important when teams when Denver's going to face teams that they want to switch against. It's, it's easier to switch with Will Barton than it is with Monte Morris. Like It's just a fact of life. 
So we're going to have to figure this out. I don't know if I trust P.J. Dozier right now to fill in that gap. Uh, P.J. did play tonight, went 0 of 2 from 3, uh, only took those two shots, and, and that's not a good sign either. But I I think if there's one thing that people should kind of monitor, it's, it's Will Barton's finishing at the rim because that's, that's going to be important. Um, Aaron Gordon, kind of conversely to, to that, he finished 10 of 13 from the field tonight. It was just the sixth time in his career that he's finished above 75% from three or from, from the field on at least 10 shots per game in, in a game. Uh, this happened in his fourth game as a Denver Nugget. Kind of like Barton, these are the easiest shots that Aaron Gordon has had in his entire career. This is going to be great for Aaron Gordon. It already is great for Aaron Gordon. He's grinning ear to ear most of the time when he's around the rim because he knows that Jokic is going to find him. And Gordon is is just a more physical, athletic, at-the-rim finisher than a guy like Paul Millsap and even a guy like Michael Porter because he catches the ball cleanly, gets the ball up on the rim, and he has so less, like he has less distance to go to get to the rim because he jumps so high, because he, he gets the ball at 6'8", jumps very minimally, and, and he's already at the rim. It's a great sign for Denver's offense that they can always rely on that. They have Jokic that they can go to in the post. They have Porter that they like to factor in. Uh, the Jokic-Murray two-man game is, of course, lethal. Uh, Will Barton has had his moments. But if they can always get Aaron Gordon at the rim, that is another great thing that they can always go to. Because how many people are going to be guarding Aaron Gordon with their best player? How many teams? Maybe the Lakers, maybe the Clippers, depending on what they do. But kind of like what we saw in the Clippers game, you saw Kawhi Leonard being on uh, on Michael Porter a lot. And you saw Paul George being on Jamal Murray a lot. That's a great sign for Aaron Gordon, if you ask me. All right, Monday positivity. Let's get into this one. Starting with the standings watching, the Nuggets are in fourth place in the Western Conference. Yay, this is great. Uh, they're not out of the woods, of course. Uh, the Lakers are in fifth place, so that means that Denver's first-round matchup would be the Lakers, and I'm sure everybody's super excited about that one. Uh, but it is what it is. It, it's too early to do too much uh discussion on the playoff matchups. I've always talked about this on the show, and I will continue to talk about playoff matchups because they are really, really important to me. Uh, But I'm not going to belabor it. Like The Nuggets are going to have a tough first round, second round, and third round if they're lucky. Like Let's be honest. Like This team is going to have to go through the gauntlet because they are in the Western Conference. If you're the one seed in the Eastern Conference, you get to face a team like the New York Knicks in the first round and probably the Atlanta Hawks or the Miami Heat in the second round, which, that's all right. <laughs> They're going to be okay. Uh, it's just a different It's a different beast entirely. Let's talk about normalcy. Uh, it was great to see the fans in the stands. And, and I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to shill out, but the energy really was great all throughout this game. Despite the fact that fans kind of filed in late, I'm sure there's some stuff procedurally that's going to keep people a little bit later. 
Uh, I'm glad this was an 8 o'clock start because it gave people time to get into the building. Uh, but once people got in here, the energy was really good kind of throughout the game. And fans fans were hopping mad at the refs early on in this game. There were a lot of boos. There were a lot of uh, refs, you suck. Uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun to to be in that crowd and just, just experiencing the energy of everybody. It really helped swing the tide of the game in that second half. And Denver's crowd was kind of able to get behind this team. And... The team had to respond, of course, and they had to. They fed off of that energy, though. Like Jamal Murray, as I said, he shot that blue arrow after a clutch three. The crowd goes crazy. Everybody's happy for him. Everybody's glad to see that 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 was a a very very important moment, and Jamal Murray fed on it. He was happy to see it. MVP chants all throughout the game. It even started before the game when. Jokic and Murray addressed the crowd, or well, it was just Murray, really, because they both had mics. Jamal Murray, uh, Harrison Wood said this to me after the game, that, look, Jamal Murray had a, such a great message to the fans, kind of like a championship on three, like that's what we're playing for. There was nothing really for Nikola Jokic to say at that point, so he kind of held up his mic like he was going to say something, and then just kind of decided against it, and everybody kind of laughed, and uh, and he got asked about that after the game. And I want to pull up the direct quote because I thought it was funny. Uh, let's look at that real quick. Whatever I said was going to be stupid was was what Nikola Jokic responded to there. That's why he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything because whatever I said was going to be stupid, which is hilarious. It's so endearing to Jokic. He, he just, he has such a a unique self-awareness and self-deprecation that you don't really see around superstars that it is nice and refreshing to hear like, and just kind of laugh knowing what's going through somebody's head at that moment and, and how like you can, you can see the gears turning in their head and it, it it's comes out in just a very hilarious way. Very funny. Uh, but it was really nice tonight to see people happy and laughing, having fun watching this team again. I'm sure I speak for everybody when I said, look, 2020, one of the most painful years of my life personally. And and I'm, I know I'm not the only one, of course. The pandemic was really bad for everyone. It's a great sign that it feels like, look, we're really close again. We're really close to being back in normal. The vaccine is circulating. Cases are going down. Hospitalization rates are going down. It feels like we're getting close. And you love to see that from, from the world. And it's taken too long, and everybody knows that. But without, like, this is going to be a really weird time, a really unique time. Because we're right on the precipice of getting back to some normalcy. And I hope that everybody continues to be smart that everybody signs up and tries to get the vaccine if they can. I, I sort of feel like it's a civic duty that given the situation that we've had with everybody, that it would be nice if, if everybody just tried to do their part if they could. That this is something that I am sure everybody else will be thankful for you if you got the vaccine. So I don't know if I'm ever going to be the same after this pandemic. It's really changed a lot of things about life, about me, about just kind of my worldview in this situation. But 
But it's going to be nice to try to work out of it, to try to work out the kinks. And I know that the first time that I go to a bar and sit with people and watch a Nuggets game and laugh and cheer with people, there's going to be a lot of fun. And I can't wait to host a Stiffs Night Out at some point. We're going to do it sometime soon. It's going to be probably during the playoffs. That's when I that's when I'm hoping to really do it. Be a nice sort of celebration kind of after the vaccine really gets circulated after everybody uh everybody sort of figures it out, figures out their situation. I have some ideas that I want to enact that I want to continue to do with this Nuggets group and with a hundred of my best friends from from Denver Stiffs. That would be a lot of fun. I hope that everybody comes and enjoys it. Uh, keep your ears peeled. Keep your eyes peeled. Uh, we are going to have a lot of fun. And I want to share in this and kind of share in the positivity with everybody. Because everybody's had a tough time. And I'm sure that people would love nothing more than to just support their team again in a normal way. The only thing that was abnormal tonight was the masks and the social distancing. Everything else, it's like it never happened. So, I'm excited. Let's see how far we can take this. Nuggets have won five in a row. They have a really easy stretch coming up. They still have four more home games in a row. Back-to-back on Tuesday and Wednesday night against Detroit, against San Antonio. They play San Antonio again on Friday. Uh, they've got another game on Sunday against a team that I can't – I think it's maybe Atlanta. No, they played Atlanta twice. They've got another game on Sunday. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see who that is. Maybe it's Toronto or somebody like that. Uh, but either way, Jeremy Grant comes to town on Tuesday. Make sure to, if, if you're going to the game, got to bring out the Boo Birds. That's, that's definitely a thing that you should do. Uh, I can't wait to see Aaron Gordon and Jeremy Grant go up against each other. They're probably going to defend each other, and it's going to be a lot of fun. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will be back tomorrow with a special guest, I think from Mile High Sports itself. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, and I'll talk to you guys very soon.